Let's pray. Heavenly Father, cover us with the robe of righteousness. See us as perfect through your Son and his cross. We ask in his name. Amen. So I want to do two things real quick in the introduction. First of all, is that bit of advice that is offered to seminary students and which pastors in the congregations I have served always shared with me. This is a very common statement. It's a very pithy statement. It's a very appropriate statement. Namely, that the pastor's job is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. But secondly, I want to refer you to the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 40. And Matthew, in his gospel, quotes part of that text. And it's absolutely astounding. Matthew is saying this text applies to the Messiah, the Christ. This applies to Jesus. And it just blows your mind that Jesus is both on one hand going to be so gentle and so gracious, it's going to be melt-in-your-mouth sweetness, a bruised reed, a crushed reed he will not break, a dimly smoldering wick he will not extinguish. In his grace and mercy and love, he has come to heal the broken, to heal those who are crushed, to restore those who are brokenhearted. Well, we like that part. But the other part is, he will bring justice to the nations. To the nth degree that he is gracious and kind and merciful and compassionate, also to the nth degree he will be just. And he will uphold the law. And he will insist that the law be kept. How do those two polar opposites work in Jesus? How can they be accomplished in his life and ministry? Well, let's look at our text, the woman caught in adultery. And you notice that point number one is afflict, disturb the comfortable. I always like this text because it says Jesus went into the temple courts and sat down to teach. Someday I'll have the courage to do that. <laughs> but the teachers of the law, the law scholars, the seminary professors, and the Pharisees, the very upright, moral Pharisees, come to Jesus and were told to test him, to trap him. Okay, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, Moses says that such a woman should be stoned to death. What do you say? Jesus doesn't say a word. He stoops down and starts to write in the ground. We don't know what he wrote. He's just letting the question sink in. 
You know, what's kind of interesting, and this is on a tangent. You don't have to remember this. This won't be on the test. But one commentator says, where's the man? According to the law of Moses, both the man and the woman should be executed. This particular commentator suggests that maybe the man was one of the witnesses. Whoa! And that maybe this was a setup, that he engineered this so that they would have this difficult case study with which to trap Jesus. Okay, Jesus, you say that not one jot or tittle will be removed from the law, from the commands of Moses, but then on the other hand, you seem to be overly gracious and compassionate. Way back in John 4, the woman that is seriously flawed because she thought life was to be found in a man, not just one, but six of them. And he talks to her about quenching her deep thirst for significance and righteousness, not through another man, but through himself who provides the water of life. And then there's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say unto you, any man who looks at a woman for the purpose of lusting has already committed adultery. You do know that the intent of Moses' law was not just external performance, but an internal transformation. So what's he going to do? How's he going to escape the trap? He straightens up and he says, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Look into your own life, into your own heart. What do you see? Are you clean? Are you clear? Are you perfect? If so, go ahead. Throw a stone. And we're told that they walked away beginning with the older ones first. And the question is, why the older ones? Because as you get older, you become more aware of who you are and all the faults and all the failures. And, you know, if I had my druthers, I would take that passage out of the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever looks at a woman for the purpose of lusting has committed adultery. Show me a man who has not, and I'll give you a stone. Then he looks at the woman. The religious leaders, the Bible scholars, the self-righteous Pharisees have been nailed to the wall. They've been shown for what they are. Jesus has definitely afflicted the comfortable. But now he needs to comfort the afflicted. 
And he looks at the woman, and that's what that picture on the front of your service folder is all about. I tried to find a picture that would display extreme distress and grief and hurt and pain. Someone whose heart is broken, someone whose life has been crushed. And he looks at her and he says, is there no one to condemn you? No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. Neither am I going to inflict upon you more hurt and more pain through punishing your sin. No condemnation. And Paul's words ring in our ears. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do. The Holy Spirit has convinced us Christ has done. I don't know if this woman comprehended this at the time. We do, in hindsight, we realize when Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, that somebody's going to have to be condemned. You can't just let sin go scot-free. Somebody's going to have to face the bar of justice. Somebody's going to have to be judged. Whether she perceived it or not, Church tradition tells us that this woman is the same as Mary Magdalene in John chapter 12, who anointed Jesus' feet with very expensive perfume. And Jesus makes the comment that she was preparing my body for burial. Somehow she perceived that Jesus was going to die. Whether she knew he had to die he had to take our place. He lived the life we should have lived, but he died the death we deserved. That's the power of no condemnation. It's not just letting somebody go free willy-nilly. It's letting somebody go free because of what Christ has done in our place for us. Sin is not without harm, without danger, without judgment. But Jesus takes it. Now, I want to give you three quick applications that you've probably already figured out. Uh, number one, if you are brokenhearted, if you are crushed in spirit, Go to him. Don't sit in the cesspool of your guilt and shame. Go to him. The one who died in our place that we might receive the no condemnation verdict, that we might be completely accepted, that we might be clothed in the robe of righteousness. You do understand, don't you? that this is what we need 
more than anything, if we are to have lives that are significant, lives that have purpose, lives that have meaning. And that leads me to the second quick application where Jesus says to the woman, go and don't continue in your sin. Now, in the Greek language, it's a present imperative. Now, that's important. The present tense has a continuous aspect to it, a continuing quality to it. Uh, in First John, many people get all tripped up when John says, whoever is a believer doesn't sin anymore. When actually it's present tense, does not continue to sin. Like Paul, we struggle with it. We fight against it. We enter the battlefield. We fight, fight, fight. Because in our heart, we have a new desire, a new want the things we want to do, we really want to do. And here is something that is so important, and I phrased it in the outline as the no condemnation verdict changes everything. It changes me. Because every human being on this planet wants to be valued, wants to be significant, wants to be given worth. That's the basic human need. In the Bible, it's called righteousness. We want somebody to say, you're acceptable. You're a person of worth. You have eternal value. And we don't just want somebody to say it. We want the king of the universe to say it. So that no matter how many people, whether they're friends or family, acquaintances, church members, no matter how many people point the finger at us and say, you're guilty, you failed, you blew it. Jesus, no condemnation verdict, supersedes, overwhelms, destroys the accusations, the criticisms, the guilt, the shame. Until you have that, you cannot live an authentic life. You cannot live free from the need to justify yourself, which is the source of all sin. You cannot live free from being a self-righteous person and trying to find your worth and what you acquire or what you accomplish only in Christ do you experience no condemnation. Is your life radically transformed? Is your heart warmed? Fire enters into you and your heart becomes red hot, even white hot because of Jesus' no condemnation verdict. When you live with that no condemnation verdict, it changes you from the inside out. It changes everything. One final thought.
One time when I was a pastor at Mount Olive, I was filling in for Pastor Koshman on a Sunday and on the chalkboard downstairs where we were having Bible class, it said, the law cannot save you. Well, yeah, we've been taught that since we were little types. And I looked at the Bible class and I said, what else can't the law do? And they were stumped. I said, the law cannot change your heart. The law cannot give you new attitudes. The law cannot transform you on the inside. So if you have a bad habit or an addiction, and, and don't be afraid of the word addiction, we're all addicted to our need to feel worthwhile and significant, and we've all found different avenues and different idols to worship that we think will give us worth and significance. We're all addicted to our need to be valued, accepted, to be loved, appreciated, to be forgiven. And until you experience Christ's no condemnation verdict, you will never change. Trying harder, studying the law, it won't work. The Pharisees believed that if you meditated on the law long enough, it would change your heart. Sorry, it doesn't. You may feel so guilty that for a time you reform, but it will not change you where you need to be changed. You don't just need an external remodel, you need an inner renovation. So if you learn anything today, please learn that your bad habits and your addictions will not be overcome by your efforts apart from Christ, apart from his no condemnation verdict. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you condemned, worthy of judgment, and yet you look at us and see your Son. You see us as perfect. You accept us, you value us, you tell us there is no condemnation for those who are in my son, Christ Jesus. Help our hearts, our minds, our lives to accept that reality and send your Holy Spirit because in that verdict of no condemnation, the Holy Spirit touches us and transforms us and he changes everything. Do that for us today and every day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.